Hey everyone, welcome to episode 114 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SEG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey, what's up Chris? Hey Collins, how are you? Um, pretty good, pretty good. We are back to our normal schedule, uh, broadcasting live on Twitch. There's something special about the first episode we do right after a, uh, a, set, re- a set review. It feels just so because, easy. Oh, yeah. I'm just like excited about it. I know that it's going to be nice and easy yep. and an hour long and not <laughs> four. <clears throat> yeah, and then I don't have to spend like the rest of the week editing the episode. And <laughs> yeah. It's really, really good for everybody. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. For yeah. Sure. Uh, I want to thank all of our patrons. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate all of the support. I finally was able to drop off the box of pins and tokens at the post office. Um, they were giving me guff about it before, but this time I got a helpful person who actually like allowed me to do the things that I needed to do. So nice. we sent all of the domestic packages out. The ones that are going internationally are going to take a little while longer because I got to do customs forms and things like that. So sorry about that for our international supporters but we do appreciate you too and we appreciate you so much that we will pay extra shipping to get your stuff to you there you go special thanks to kyle m anthony r and david g our newest patrons really appreciate the support and since it is the beginning of a new month i'm gonna send out the stuff as soon as i can you know as soon as like the patreon thing comes in and i get the these people deserve benefits and then i'll i'll take care of that so look out for your packages if you want to get, give us some support, if you want to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Um, should we kick things off with a keeper mall? Sure. So you've been playing a lot of uh, this very specific deck in modern right now, right. huh? Yeah. Uh, well, so um, I think Emery is the card that has kind of like taken over, not really modern, but definitely my testing of yeah. modern. Uh, Emery has been a highlight in the new paradoxical outcome Urza deck that I've been testing a good bit of, and then also this Kethis modern deck that uh, I've been testing uh, thanks to our housemate, Evan. Uh, Evan has gotten very excited about this Kethis build. He loved it when it was standard, uh, legal, and then, you know, as soon as it became, like, relevant with uh, Emery, he started testing a lot with that. He, like, immediately, as soon as Emery was, like, spoiled almost. Yeah. Uh, definitely before the full spoiler ruler was released, he had, like, a list brewed out. Turns out it's really good. Um, so I've been playing this Kethis deck in Modern. Yeah, um, I, I came downstairs and just watched you play one game, and you just were like, should I keep this hand? And then you won right. on turn two. Right, yeah, easily. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, so, uh, so the basic premise of the deck is that you're trying to get Kethis and a grinding station in play. Yep. And those two kind Wait, of... Wait, what is the oracle text of Grinding Station for the non-Lee McLeods? I need help. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a one-mana artifact. You tap, sacrifice an artifact to mill a player for three. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever... Is it when... Either whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control or whenever you cast an artifact. I think it's whenever, enters the battlefield. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under oh, anyone's period. control. That's right. Because it triggers yeah. off of their Tide Hollow yes. Skuller. That, that's not annoying at all, Emoto. <laughs> then um, you untap it. Right. Yeah. So you get to essentially cast the free legendary artifacts from your graveyard, uh, which are Mox Opal and Mox Amber. Yep. Um, They all trigger your grinding station, and then you get to mill yourself each time you cast an additional one. So if you have a Kethis out and you have a grinding station out, you don't need much to go off from there. You need to mill yourself a little bit because all of your deck is legendary stuff. Including some of the lands and yeah, um, Urza and Emery, both legendary. Kethis right. is legendary. Yeah. Yep. 
yeah, pretty much everything is legendary. So you get to, like, it doesn't really take much. You can you just start milling yourself. Eventually you deck yourself. And then you have enough stuff in your graveyard to deck them. Just mill them, yeah. yeah. So, like, almost identical to the concept of the standard Kethis deck. It's yeah. just, you know, Grinding Station is much more efficient than Diligent Excavator. Yes. And you have more moxes and right. generally more powerful cards. Yeah. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of that. This one hand that is going to be our Keeper Mold today is two Mistress Baubles, a Star, three lands. I don't remember exactly which lands they were, uh, like random legendary lands, mm-hmm. but it, it, it casts a spell. The mana was fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And one Mox Amber. Okay. Yeah. So it's three like cantripping rocks, three eggs, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, and then, you know, just a bunch of mana. Yeah. So I initially had no idea if I was supposed to keep this hand. Right. Because... You, you know, you generally want to mulligan into something that's pretty powerful, mulligan into something that has potential to assemble the combo of Kethys and uh, Grinding Station, but this is just a bunch of cantrips. Yeah, if this hand were, if like a couple of the cantrips, rather than being like sacrifice cantrips, mm-hmm. were astrolabes, yeah. then I'd be like very inclined to keep it, right. because you get to keep those in play, they make any Urza or Emery top decks like really powerful and quick. That would make this hand like relatively easy for me, but the fact that there's sacrifice cantrips, so you don't get the value of the artifact still in play for Urza mm-hmm. when you draw the card, that makes this hand a little bit weaker than that to me. And we're not right. getting like a huge payoff from the zeros because we're not doing a turn one thing right. because of having the zeros in, in our hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So it's just kind of, you know, it's like up to like the top of our deck to figure out what we want. We're mainly just keeping this hand based on the fact that it has good mana and yeah. cast whatever we do draw. Right. And pretty Thoughtseize proof. Yes, which is definitely nice in, in a lot of matchups because Thoughtseize is one of the cards that can be pretty annoying for yeah. this deck. Um, uh, Evan told me that he would keep this hand, um, which I think is really indicative of the power level of this deck. I think that keeping being able to keep hands like this is definitely a sign that your deck is doing something just like very consistent and very mm-hmm. powerful. Like I would keep hands like this with KCI. Right. And that was like the kind of the only combo deck that I have in recent memory that I would keep just like cantrip only hands because mm-hmm. the deck was just so consistent. It had so much, you know. Yeah, a lot of redundancy. A lot of redundancy. Lot of, the only card that was the only thing that did the thing was KCI itself. Right. But sometimes you could just have like artifacts and sigh and you're yeah. fine. Right. And I think part of what makes this hand to keep in this deck is that there are so many like single cards that you can draw mm-hmm. that just snowball on their own. Yeah. Like Emery is a phenomenal engine. Emery doesn't really do much to help you combo. Like once you're comboing, it's kind of just your Kethys and your grinding station that matter. Yeah. I mean, sometimes um, you cast the Emery for one and that mills you for four, you know, true. it's a free mill yeah. four. I mean, the mill definitely helps with the combo for sure. So it's, it's, it's part of the engine in that way. Yeah. But it, the card is mainly just there as like, a value card almost right and it does a lot it actually reminds me a lot of dark confidant uh or not dark confidant i'm sorry death right shaman okay. because the card has the ability with with this deck in particular to to make a mana to ramp you yeah to draw extra cards mm-hmm. <laughs> with just like getting back a bobble and all this stuff it just like it does so much yeah it for typically what's just a one mana card so it's one of those cards that if like if you ever get to untap with it like with with death right shaman yeah you just feel like you know, you're going to be so far ahead in this game. Yeah. And you don't untap with it a lot. Like, I see a lot of Emery's dying, but your opponent is forced to use, forced to have the removal spell and right. use their turn one or two yeah. on removing the Emery, or else they just kind of, like, lose the game. They at right. least fall very far behind. Yeah. 
yeah, any game where you have an Emery in play for multiple turns, like sometimes it ramps you into like having the extra mana you need to like combo in turn three or something. Yeah. Other times it is just like digging you an extra card deeper every turn. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you have an Orboro, you can activate it twice. <laughs> uh, Orboro is just kind of in there as a legendary land, but it's uh, it's got some utility yeah. with Emery. Wait, that untaps target legendary creature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I will say that my favorite part of this deck so far has been just like the random legendary lands like coming in yeah. Rel- <laughs> like shizo yeah. storehouse or whatever right yeah sometimes you need to like get rid of a planeswalker so you give your guy fear <laughs> and they get in and like kill their planeswalker because right. you got a construct that's right. just a nine nine or whatever yeah so. yeah um i had an opponent attack into my urza with like a multiple creatures one of which was a collector oof which mm-hmm. i was like pretty dead to yeah but i had the the green legendary land that gives my legend plus one plus one so i was able to block and pump it and <laughs> and eat their collector roof and then kill them that's great it was pretty gross yeah 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 so yeah i, I mean yeah. this like keeper mole is more of a transition into modern i kind of have it listed with us starting with like standard and also like mentioning what we did the weekend before last, but That's we fair. are talking yeah, we about just, modern we just now, so we it. might as well keep going. Sure. So this is like the sister deck to the Paradoxical Outcome deck that lots of people are playing, but yeah. really like similarly powered up by Emery and mm-hmm. artifact-based combo decks that can cast a lot of spells in one turn. Yeah, and we should definitely talk, like if we're, you know, if we're transitioning to modern, we should definitely talk mostly about that deck because... Yeah. It, I think that that deck is definitely the story the past, like, a couple of weeks in Modern. Like, yeah. everything else has mainly been the same. You know, people are still playing Tron and, mm-hmm. like, you know, various, like, Bant builds. I think one of the more interesting things that people started playing outside of Paradoxical Outcome was a deck that did well in the the Modern Challenge, which was just, like, Bant mid-range stuff with Okos. Yeah. Which was pretty interesting. Oko showing its dominance in more than one format not dominance per se but just but playability playability in modern <laughs> yeah it, for a planeswalker it means right. it's really good in standard like, it's teferi really good in standard playable in modern other teferi mm-hmm. really good in standard playable in modern yeah yeah oko sure. same story Oko's like a 40 dollar card now not surprised um so you know yeah. glad that we, we pre-ordered we four of those right yep, yeah we pre-ordered okay. four of them yeah, i yeah, yeah. like held my nose and did it and i'm glad that i did because <laughs> card is exactly as good as we said <laughs> that's that's when we got right we got a couple of them wrong and we'll, we'll go over that for sure for sure so yeah that was kind of cool but yeah like definitely the biggest story mm-hmm. paradoxical outcome yeah people figured out that the combination of urza cheap artifacts and paradoxical outcome was very very good and then the printing of emery just slotted into that so well right so the deck was playable before mm-hmm. um canister made the finals of the modern challenge the week before emery was released with a paradoxical outcome deck but now it just has this like additional and i think it plays a really similar role in that deck as it plays to the kathis deck is like mm-hmm. early threat that you run out early and threatens to run away with the game if they don't have the answer to it yeah um it doesn't like do a thing on your combo turns necessarily but it's just like this tremendous value slash tutor engine in the deck right yeah it definitely going to go back to the death right shaman analogy a little bit here mm-hmm. uh and it i think even more so in the um uh, in the Urza deck is like it, the fact that it can act as a mana creature sometimes where you just like happen to mill over like a Mox Opal or something yeah and then be able to target that both decks are playing Mox Amber as well so there's a lot of hits for you have uh, more Mox Ambers in the Kethis deck though generally these paradoxical 
outcome decks have mm-hmm. like one or two Mox Ambers in them at the most. I think that people are up to like three or four. Okay. Point. I've mostly yeah. been seeing it as a one or two of, mm-hmm. but but I, I can see it being... Because it's a zero with a lot of potential utility. Yeah. The list that I've been playing most recently has three okay. in the Paradoxical Outcome deck. I'd heard that like LSV said was talking about how he added the fourth one in mm-hmm. to his latest builds and stuff. Cool. Because, yeah, I mean, you just have a lot of, uh, like, that in combination with Emery just works so well. Just like the, you know, sometimes it's you're a free artifact that you can allow you to cast your creature on turn one. Yep. And then other times, it like, when you do hit it on a mill, it can just act as, like, a mana ramp. And when right. you're ramping into four mana spells, all of a sudden that's, like, That's, that's pretty super invaluable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, playing sort of like a Knight of the Reliquary, like, mm-hmm. on turn three making a mana sort of thing yeah 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 Yeah, and that's that's really cool it's funny though that the text of mox amber is like very irrelevant when you have urza your other legend in play because all of your artifacts tap for a blue yeah yeah Yeah, that is that is definitely funny when like urza just kind of like has you covered for all of your all your mana needs all your mana needs yeah yeah it's 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 pretty wild like stony silence and collector oof depending on the point in the game often don't do very much to the deck once you have urza in play they're basic they're like more or less irrelevant Mm -hmm. but they do do a good job of if they get played on turn two they can stop the urza from ever getting cast potentially and then as long as there's a clock backing that up that's why i think um a really important point that autumn Burchett made in uh, her article on star city today was that she doesn't think darksteel citadel is a great choice in the deck because mm-hmm. it just makes you that much more vulnerable to a stony silence yeah. when you can make your deck much more resilient against it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, having the um, the most amount of mana you can without leaning on those artifacts is definitely pretty important. Because that's the only way stony silence beats you is right. if you can't cast Urza. Right, yeah. And I've seen, yeah, I've like a lot of the lists have this one of Darkseal Citadel. The only other thing I've seen is like a one of Inventor's Fair. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing about Inventor's Fair, though, is that there aren't really like... There aren't really any, like... None of your artifacts matter. Yeah, none of the artifacts matter. It's, like, they're all just, like, cheap artifacts that you play alongside these broken cards. Right. And that's that's Mm -hmm. why, like, you know, traditional hate against artifact decks functions so poorly Mm -hmm. against this deck. Stony Silence is only functional if it's stopping Urza from being cast. Shatters are, like, mostly meaningless. And then, like, one-mana hate cards, if stuff like Deafening Silence and things like that, the deck just has four engineered explosives in it right so it can answer so much stuff yeah yeah four engineered explosives is like another like signpost in my mind for like a broken artifact deck yeah just because you know you like having access to that card all the time means you get to play a surprisingly effective interactive game Mm -hmm. just like any permanent your opponent plays it's not a stoning silence is susceptible to getting disrupted in mass and that's you know alongside the fact that sometimes you just cast it for zero and it's great and it like taps for mana with urza or turns on your your turn or whatever yeah 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 Yeah. a lot of really excellent synergies and emery plus you know we like back in the kci days we had the pretty sweet grindy engine of uh scrap trawler plus engineered explosives Mm -hmm. where you could just get it back over and over again yeah emery just does that on our own without any shenanigans, yeah. just tap. Yeah, just like all right, you know, uh, ee away all of these things, and then you know, get back e- <laughs> engineer explosives again. Ee all of these things. You can even do it for three, 
and then like with the with the destroy trigger on the stack mm-hmm. you can target it again with your emery so that you can like sweep up more stuff or like cast it again for another oh like, sure super element later yeah yeah i've had that come up like once or twice so yeah yeah, yeah. no the deck is pretty mm-hmm. resilient mm-hmm. it's not it feels like it's not quite at kci level of you know just like power and resilience and stuff like that but it's not like that far off honestly right it's it does really impressive stuff and fights through just a ton of different yeah. hates it definitely feels more the the paradox outcome deck definitely feels more like a mid-range deck mm-hmm. a lot of the cards in it are like very good like mid-range value cards and you end up grinding your opponent out more than anything else with like your size and your Sahili's right. like generating tokens and stuff and like eventually it gets to the point where like sure you're comboing off but your opponent is already out of it because of all the right. combo. So you don't or need to really do anything. You're yeah. just like here's 11 Thopters. Right. Your turn. Yeah. yeah. And then they can't beat that. Right. And then right and it definitely feels like the paradoxical outcome element of the deck is nice because it, it just gives you that like like huge boost of yeah it's a giant draw spell value yeah a giant draw spell it's like free most of the time yep and then it lets you just make your thopters and yeah yeah it definitely feels like you're you're doing not really modern parallel stuff yeah (laughs) so so interesting thing like the existence of this deck as like the main part of the modern conversation right now i think has really opened the door for grix's death shadow to come back and be a thing so many of the cards in the deck are enablers Mm -hmm. if you are playing against a deck that can strip your payoffs then that's a good way of and it strip the payoffs and then give present a clock and that's like the what death shadow is designed to do right um as long as that clock is a gurmag angler and not a death shadow (laughs) usually though yeah i mean you know the the gurmag being good against engineered explosives is very big yeah and it is we were talking about that earlier how it's kind of silly that like this it's like the one time that gurmag angler is great and (laughs) death shadow is not yeah yeah, no, for sure. I uh, I'm I think that I'm I'm boiled down to three options for this weekend: Kethis, Paradox, Outcome, Urza, or Shadow. Yeah. Shadow's like my like. Okay, if I think everybody's gonna, everybody's going to be on these decks, then you know maybe I'll try to metagame a little bit and play Shadow. Yeah. But the other thing about that though is that these like artifact combo decks are, you know, they can easily be the best deck in the format without being very popular in the format. Mm-hmm. This it's a deck that's like really hard for a majority of players to like pick up easily. Not everybody has time to jam a million matches before the tournament. And not everybody <laughs> has five hundred dollars to buy a playset of Moxopoles if they don't have Moxopoles right. already. Yeah. Right. Which is not my favorite thing in the world, but it's where we are. That, that there you have it for sure. Moxopole is definitely overtaken Tarmogoyf. <clears throat> Tarmogoyf is like a. I saw a foil Tarmogoyf for sixty dollars at the GP two weekends ago. Wow, I didn't I didn't realize it was that low. Yeah, but. it's it's not doing so hot right now. No, I also no. cut them from my legacy deck and never wanted them. So, <laughs> well, good. Yeah, right. So yeah, so I think that you know while I I do believe that these are definitely contenders for the best deck in modern right now i don't think it's going to be a hugely popular choice i think that you'll definitely run into a lot of them near the you know near the top tables it'll definitely be a, a, a relevant share of the winner's metagame mm-hmm. but that's that's definitely why i'm leaning towards playing them instead of playing something that beats them is because yeah this seems like a, it's just not going to be something i'm going to play a lot throughout the tournament week one <laughs> after the release of a set like yeah it's modern so it's not really like week one but it seems like play the broken deck now yeah the cat is out of the bag that the deck exists and is good right but that does 
at a live paper tournament, that doesn't mean that it's going to be a significant portion of the metagame. It's just right. not... It's going to be smaller than the numbers on Magic Online, and I don't know how often you're playing that matchup on Magic Online, but it's going to be less existent like in never. paper. That's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I've been playing all these, like, you know, crazy broken strategies, feels like, mm-hmm. and, like, I haven't played a single mirror. Wow. Mm-hmm. To be fair, there was a modern challenge this past weekend, and yeah. there was only one paradoxical outcome in the top eight. Yeah. So it's not unbeatable. It's not right. super broken. The decks, the other decks in the top eight did seem to be kind of targeted to beat it. Blue-white with Pact of Negation, mm-hmm. or, yeah, not Pact of Negation, force with negation, Force yeah. of Negation main deck, and just, like, decent disruptive elements. Um, all of the Tron decks are the build that, oh, I don't remember who was playing it first so i feel bad i feel guilty about that but the, i know andrew ellenbogen's been talking a lot about it yeah ellenbogen's been talking about it but it was spe- this specific list came from someone i know becky bell and someone else was working on it our uh players champion uh joe Lissette? i think it was you're right you're right yeah. i think it was joe Lissette. yeah um so i think it like becky and joe were playing this list that is a con the great creator list with main deck thrag tusks like three main deck Thrag Tusks. Yeah. Um, and, and specifically, I think if you're going to play Tron this weekend, yeah. you have to play Karn the Great Creator. <laughs> yeah. That's um, definitely been the hardest card for me to beat. Yeah. Um, so it It is a hate piece and gets another hate piece. And that's... <clears throat> it's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and just generally, like, in the mirror, it gives you more Karns. Mm-hmm. Like, whoever plays the first Karn of either type is going to win the mirror. Yeah. So you have to be on Karn the Great Creator or you're going to lose all of your mirrors. Uh, and so th- definitely be on that deck. A side effect of playing Karn the Great Creator is that you definitely, I don't think, can play Once Upon a Time in your list. You're just hmm. two Planeswalker heavy. Okay. And so you have a much harder time because the list that they are on, I believe, has no Ulamogs in it. Okay. So if you can't find Ulamog in the mid the mid game, cast your 10 mana spell. Um, then that makes yeah, mid game. It's fine. That makes once upon a time quite a bit worse. So we'll see if that ever actually makes an appearance in the Tron decks. It has made an appearance in the amulet decks that I saw. So yes, I think it's really good in amulet. Mm-hmm. I am still very skeptical about its place in Tron. Sure, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. They they kind of like in theory what it does to their hands, but there's no like. You know, it's so hard to tell if it's actually helping your win percentage overall. Right. Yeah. Like, the most important thing with Tron is assembling Tron on turn three. Yeah. Like, you're heavily favored to win almost any match in Modern if you can do that. Yeah. But if you are then top-decking weird two-mana cantrips instead right. of just absolute bangers, right. then... Uh, who yeah. knows? Who knows? For sure. Yeah. I'm I'm not sold on it in Tron. I, I would actually even say that I... Th- I, I'm, I think that it's not good mm-hmm. in Tron right now, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I do like what it's done with Amulet. Yeah. Um, it seems to have given that deck a nice boost of consistency. It makes a lot of sense in that deck. And, you know, <clears throat> Amulet has not really had a place in Modern for a little while. It's there, been a minute. It's been a minute, um, yeah. and there were several lists in the top 16 of that challenge, run a bunch of Once Upon a Times, yeah. and I think it just helps the deck do what it's supposed to do. Let's see, any more modern stuff? Most of the modern stuff has been pretty condensed into the things that we've talked about. Yeah. Which is just a bunch of Urza decks. And then everything else feels pretty much kind of old mm-hmm. old news. Yeah, cards that we've already talked a lot about are, are pretty prevalent. Um, Force Negation is around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So Unforged Mystic is around. 
but I don't think that card's very good. So yeah, no, it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had our fears and stuff, but it really right. just the type of deck <clears throat> that Stoneforge Mystic is good in mm-hmm. is not generally that good in modern. Yeah, the best place for it seems to be either in Devoted Druid as a like combo piece slash juke plan right and you can also play it in a blue white deck with force of negation mm-hmm. and yeah those are both fine but yeah. neither of them seem to be like burning it down or anything right right i do like the devoted druid decks quite a bit now i'm much mm-hmm. higher on them than i ever was before that's fair um, you yeah. can just play a lot of tutors you have your alternate plan with the stoneforge mystics and you just like are able to consistently threaten to combo over and over and over again over the course of a game yes so. yeah Xana's certainly been carrying the flag yeah. on that one he's uh, very into it right and you know i think that that deck is certainly good mm-hmm. but i think that if you're trying to do combo stuff there's just, just there's just better stuff this around. this weekend it doesn't make sense not to do mm-hmm. an urza deck if you can yeah whatever right. stripe or an emery deck the uh yeah. Kath- Kath- well, who knows what it's actually named but, yeah. yeah yeah that's true but like a mox opal combo deck i think that's actually what the unifying factor sure. here yeah fair yeah it's we finally gotten to the point in modern where all of the moxen are good so yes <laughs> so it's gonna be a wild ride we're playing vintage over here i mean it really does feel like you were not supposed to be able to combo off on turn two in modern like even storm doesn't do that but i'm doing it but you're so, doing it <laughs> yeah. like you just did it on a hand that right. you weren't sure it's like is this a keep uh, maybe we have all the pieces yeah. we just need to draw like a couple manas and right. then we did to be fair it was a keep because it had the potential to turn to combo we just needed to draw a little mana to do it right then yeah you just get there yep um so yeah impressive stuff in modern like kind of scary stuff we'll see how it plays out yeah for sure um, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely excited. I, uh, I do love being on the busted deck of the format when yeah. I can. So yeah, generally the way that I've seen that's most effective at beating these decks are attritiony decks with a clock. Mm-hmm. There aren't a ton of cards that do something in the deck. Yeah, it's just that the things that those cards do is really, really powerful. Right. So if you can thought seize their Kethys or their Urza or whatever and get them. The, and the clock element is really important yeah. because the these these decks, kind of all of them, do a really good job grinding. Because you only need to draw one piece. Yeah. You draw the paradoxical outcome and then you're just right back in it. Right, right. Um, so that's modern. Yeah, that's modern. So we can talk about standard. Um, I do want to just like chat about GP Atlanta and yeah. that stuff just a little bit. Um, you missed the GP, unfortunately. I was doing other stuff that yeah. weekend, but I, I would love to hear all about it. Well, you had a good IQ weekend. You got I, a yeah. couple of points. I did. I got two points mm-hmm. on my IQ weekend. Had a great time with, you know, shout out to Russell for letting me crash on his couch. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's just a great time. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad. Um, Atlanta was fun. Got to hang out with people, got to do some fun stuff. I, I lost my first round after two buys, and then won one and then lost another one. So it was a solid 3-2 at the beginning of the day, which did yeah. not feel great. But then I just sort of started rattling off wins. Um, the night before the tournament, I was just, like, agonizing. I had cut the Tarmogoyfs. I so put you, an you're, playing, or... you're playing Delver. I'm playing Delver. Okay. I'm playing Teamer Delver. Yeah. Um, I had already cut the Darmogoyfs and put in Elvish Reclaimers. Right. And so I was just agonizing. Like, I had put a Dark Depths and a Thespian stage just, like, in my stuff to bring to the tournament just in case. And then the night before, it's, like, 11 p.m., and I'm just, like, agonizing looking at the Depths and the stage and just, like, trying to figure out if I should play them or not. 
I ended up just like hitting the button and putting them in the deck and registering it. And then day one, every single one of my match wins included at least one Merit Lage kill. So there you go. It felt like my decision paid off. Yeah. Um, ended up uh, hitting 6-2, day twoing. Then I won my, there was like a, you know, the, the first round of day two was done on round one, which they usually do in sealed GPs, but they did it in this one for some reason. Um, so I won that one, and then I won the first round of actual day two. So I was feeling pretty good at eight and two, and then I just couldn't win another match after that. The wheels just fell completely off. Yeah. Played against some wild stuff, played against like Manalus Dredge, which I actually think that my build, because I have... You ran the Bajuka Bog. Right? Yeah. So I had the Bajuka Bog in my sideboard, and I could even win a game one potentially if I got my opponent with a Merit Lage. So mm-hmm. I didn't mulligan aggressively enough was was my problem there. Like game one, I just should have mulliganed to turn one Elvish Reclaimer. And if I... Sure. Mul- like my opponent... I knew what the match was because my opponent chose to draw first. Uh-huh. So... That should have triggered me to be like mulligan to Elvish Reclaimer. If I end up on two cards and there's no Elvish Reclaimer, I mean, I wasn't going to win the game anyways with with a Delver of Secrets or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I should have done that. I didn't. I lost game one. Game two, I like boarded kind of wrong. I boarded out too many Wastelands and Renin Sixes. Okay. Because my opponent doesn't have lands. What are these doing? Yeah. But I like turned off my avenue of just bajuka bogging them every single turn sure um, okay so managed to win that game though and then i reboarded into a more correct composition but then i should have mulliganed more aggressively game three and what i kept was like surgical plus dreadhorde arcanist plus mm-hmm. delver and that's just not enough graveyard disruption to to do the thing um so yeah. i got got but like learned a lot over the course of playing the tournament played against a bunch of decks that i really hadn't played against and, and learned like learned by making mistakes mostly but um there you have it but honestly like making day two and then having a couple of wins on top of that is legacy is feeling like your deck choices pays off that's like a that's a good feeling it did feel pretty good yeah yeah i will say delver of secrets the card was atrocious (laughs) all weekend long yeah and i don't know if it's just because the deck doesn't have enough spells in it anymore because you have ren and sixes in some of those slots and just like you'd ponder and see like land creature ren and six and you'd have to take the ren and six because you have a wasteland and like this is the plan now but then your delver is just not a card right so i don't really know also like you know i'm backing it up with not tarmogoyf so the like i've done five damage with my delver now this tarmogoyf will do the rest like that wasn't a plan that my deck had access to so that might have been one of the things that made the delvers worse that's fair but i just i played a game against a hypergenesis show and tell deck when the last turn of the game i'm attacking my opponent with five creatures for lethal including Mm -hmm. two unflipped delvers (laughs) one of which had been in play since turn one (laughs) so (laughs) well geez that's just like yeah the card was really bad all weekend. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about that earlier where the card Delver of Secrets has the least number of hits in its own deck that it ever has, yeah. really. It needs a little help to flip. Yep. Um, but yeah, I will Reclaimer. It's a pretty sweet one. Yeah, so my next... I'm not... I'm, I really should not be playing more Legacy. I don't have any reason to. Uh, but, but you got hooked. The next the next iteration <laughs> of this particular deck is yeah. going to be a like cut the delvers for crop rotations. Ooh, uh, okay. Then and play like the max dreadhorde arcanists. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see how that goes. Play like this weird like blue kind of lands, not lands, but 
just crop rotation is such a good card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would like to try it in strategies that people have not been trying it in. All right. So I'm in. We'll see. And because you have Ren and Six to like negate the like inherent sure. card disadvantage of crop rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going down land and stuff. Yeah. So who knows? But I I did have a lot of fun playing Legacy for a while. I'm glad that you got bit by the Legacy bug. Because we were talking like several months ago and you were like, I don't know anything about Legacy. And I was like, Legacy is my favorite. (laughs) So I'm I'm glad that you can hop aboard now. I still don't know anything (laughs) about Legacy, but Ah, I'm learning. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Standard, though, I do know. Oh, wait, I do want to shout out. um, Played against a a listener and patron, Sam Goldman, who uh, was on Just Guy Mentor, beat the crap out of me in our sideboarded games. And uh, it was his first GP day two, and he cashed it. So you know, shout out to him. Good job. Nice. Congrats. That's that. That's really awesome. I that's was cool. Super happy to see that you cashed it. Standard. Okay. Okay. So this is a format I do know some stuff about. Okay, I've been playing it on Arena, watching as much as I can, looking as at as many deck lists as I can. Yeah. All I know is that Golos is everywhere. <laughs> There's quite a bit of Golos. <laughs> yeah. So the way this format kind of developed. Sure. Level zero deck is something like the Brad Nelson food deck mm-hmm. that he brought to the first Fandom Legends tournament. Yeah. Um, Gilded Goose into Oko, the deck. <laughs> Gilded Goose into Oko, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, one card that we kind of, that we totally like missed the boat on even noticing that it existed is Wicked Wolf. Okay. Um, this is two green green for a 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, you may have a fight target creature. Sacrifice a food, it gets a plus one, plus one counter, and gains indestructible until end of turn, and tap it. Uh-huh. Okay. So that does a good, like, Flame Tongue Kavu slash, like, a kind of Glorybringer impression. And also, importantly, matches up very, very, very well against Questing Beast. Uh, yeah, because you can play you it, sack of food and kill, kill the it. Questing Beast. Yeah. Solid. Or I've had opponents um, make the very heads-up play of not killing the Questing Beast, just leaving the Wicked Wolf with food in play, because Questing Beast is legendary. So... Uh. Like their Oko took a hit from my questing beast, Mm -hmm. and then they play the Wicked Wolf, and then they say, I think that you are more likely to have a second questing beast in hand than a Skargan Hellkite or something. And so I don't know if it's right to give up the like murdering the questing beast for free there, but I I had the questing beast in hand and I just couldn't do anything to get past this Wicked Wolf, so it was really brutal. Because um, okay, interesting. So yeah, I mean, threatening to just sack food at any time and give it indestructible, it seems pretty strong. Yeah, and it like makes it survive wraths and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, that card is a, a strong addition to that type of deck. Yeah. Um, but basically, like this is just the latest iteration of the Nissa Hydrid Crisis deck. Yeah. It has the Oko engine to right. make little creatures, you know, medium creature strategies pretty bad against it, and it just has the inherently powerful game plan, and also is the only deck that gets to play a Birds of Paradise. So, yeah. that's kind of messed up. Right. And how has Gilded Goose been playing out, mostly? Like, it seems like a really important element for the Oko decks, mm-hmm. just because you can ramp into it. Outside of that, is it, yeah. has it been proved to, you know... So it's a weird thing, where it's like... Oh, man, Llanowar Elves really, like, kind of defines the standard format. The green decks start on turn one in a way that other decks have a really hard time keeping up with. Sure. So print Gilded Goose, kind of a worse version of Llanowar Elves. But what that means is then only a very small subset of the green decks get to run the Llanowar Elves in the format. Yeah. So like, you know, I tried playing Gruul for a little while, but I can't keep up with the green deck that gets to run Llanowar Elves mm-hmm. when I'm not running Llanowar Elves. Okay. And so that that feels like a little bit of a miss there, is that 
shoot, they have Gilded Goose, and I have to have a shock for it, or else I'm really not doing so hot here. Yeah. And it gives the deck access to turn three Nissa, where other decks don't have access to something like that. Um, so it, it's powerful in that deck, and one of the things that pushes that to the top of my like green deck pecking order. Okay. What we saw kind of after that, we saw the development of this Esper deck. I guess yeah. not after that. That was like the first tournament. Right. But it was clearly in response to these types of decks. Yeah. Another card that we completely missed on. This one pretty egregiously because we talked up how bad we thought it was. <laughs> um, but Doom Foretold yeah. is a really powerful inclusion in the Esper decks. Right. It required a little build around. Yeah. We didn't really have the foresight for, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, it was mostly a failure of imagination mm-hmm. on, on my part, I think. Sure. You know, I pictured it in an Esper deck where it's like, okay, you play it, you edict a thing, you get the turn back, it dies. Sure. But why not put eggs in your deck? Like, yeah. you can do that. Draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. We love drawing cards. Yeah. And then you get to play Dance of the Mance. And <laughs> um, also the eggs are nice because the mana is kind of too bad to have... Like, ju- you can't just put Oath of Kai, or you can't just put Kaya's Wrath in your deck that also has blue mana sources in it. Right. But you put some eggs in there, and then a lot of the games where maybe you would miss just by a little bit on casting your Wrath on time, now you get there. And then that helps bump it up just a little bit. So the deck is, like, pretty cohesive and, and pretty strong and well-positioned against Planeswalkers, which traditionally Esper... Right. Struggles with. Yeah. Um, Definitely good to have an answer for those. Yeah. So a lot of times what happens is you play your Wrath, kill a bunch of stuff. That is the traditional time for the green deck to say, haha, you're tapped out. Here is my five mana Planeswalker that you can never beat. But then you just play the Doom Foretold that eats the five mana Planeswalker. And then the next turn, they can't cast anything because it'll just die to the Doom Foretold. So yeah, that sequencing, I just like didn't really visualize when reading the card but it is and that's another reason why gruel is not like a play it just walks right into that strategy yeah 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 anything that's like just trying to slam a big thing or two yeah each turn not gonna work out playing five mana creatures seems very punished in this format okay between oko and the stuff that esper can do to you and also just like I play a five mana creature. Oh no, they've untapped with Nissa. Here's a, you know, nine nine Hydrocrisis or whatever. It doesn't make sense to cast five mana creatures in this format. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. The format seems to be defined by these just haymaker late games, and the big ones are um, Giant Hydrocrisis. Yep. Uh, Classic. Yep. I mean, we've we've been doing it for a while now. We're gonna keep doing it. It's yeah. still good. Right. Uh, Giant Hydrate Crasis, which just is both a threat and life gain, and then the cards to usually Hydrate Crasis again on the next turn because it's the best thing you can do. But yeah, just a big thing that's just going to kill them in a couple of hits. More big things. And uh, the other one is Dance of the Mance. Uh, I've had some gigantic Dance of the Mances cast against me. Just like put six four fours into play, <laughs> draw a bunch of cards. Like you have to sacrifice two things on your turn. Mm-hmm. It's It's kind of brutal. Wow. And sometimes they do it at end of turn and just kill you because of Teferi. Ah, okay. Yeah. Or sometimes what happens, especially if you're a Field of the Dead deck, um, and this is the other mega late game, is making a ton of 2-2s with your Golos deck. Um, Yeah. So those are like the three points of late games in this format. The Esper deck, uh, while it does not have a great matchup against the Golos decks, 
does have weapons, especially if you are choosing to play like a Gates version of the Golos deck, like like Xanazon, which has no Teferis of its own. <laughs> so the Esper deck gets a lot of play in that matchup where it can do things like, okay, keep wrathing you. At some point, like, this board that you've put out isn't lethal, so I'll take a hit off of it. End of turn, giant Dance of the Mance, put like 20-something power into play, untap, legions end you, attack for lethal. Ah, and, yeah. And I have a Teferi in play, so you can't Growth Spiral or anything to put right. more blockers in, yeah. and uh, you're dead. Man, Teferi has some wild implications on this format. Yeah. Because it feels like Teferi's pushed out counterspells mm-hmm. from standard, it feels like. It's just like really tough to have counterspells in your deck. Yeah. But all these like Haymaker-style games... They couldn't exist. Were, yeah. If everybody had a bunch of... If we were still playing Absorb. Right. And traditionally, in the past, like that has been the check for the Haymaker-style games. Yep. But now that Teferi exists, it's just like letting all these Haymaker-style games loose upon the format. Like yep. Everybody's just slamming just like huge uh, spells that are going to do a lot for the, you know, yeah. to the game. Right, and, and you're totally right in that Teferi doesn't even need to be in the game. Right. Because everybody's deck is constructed around Teferi existing. Right. So you just right. don't have that many counterspells. Yeah. It, these things are just going to happen. And it sounds like that new Esper card is also going to do something similar to the format where, uh, like you're talking about just like playing just like five minute creatures or just like, you know, the one big spell a turn kind of thing. Yeah. You just also, feel dumb for right. doing it. Like, you know, if that card exists in the format, then, you know, those decks are like much less likely to get played. Mm-hmm. It, like has a very warping effect on on what's going on. So. Yeah. Also, the size of these, like, three major late games mm-hmm. has kind of determined what you can do as a late game. Yeah. You know, the way that, like, Nexus meant that you were very... Li- you couldn't just, like, here's my Vraska, gonna, like, 2-2 you to death. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was Nexus in the format, and later on there was Kethis in the format that just meant that that wasn't a viable end game because you got over-the-topped. Yeah. Um, here, those three end games over the t- go over the top of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, the Great Henge, sure, we, we were pretty high on. Yeah, and it's been it's a powerful card. Yeah. I've played it. I've had it played against me, and it does the things that we thought it would do. Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw a lot of people playing with it. The play pattern seemed super strong. Yeah, and in particular. I don't think you should ever run it in a deck without Growth Chamber Guardian. Okay. Because every time you cast the Great Henge and then you just cast a bunch of Growth Chamber Guardians, it's just Growth Chamber Guardian, plus one, plus one counter on it, get a Growth Chamber Guardian, and draw another card, a card, yeah. Growth Chamber Guardian. So you just like spew onto the board. You can also respond to the plus one, plus one counter trigger with the Adapt if you want your Guardians to be Ooh. five fives. But usually I just want to cast the rest of my spells. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I have so many spells, might as well use them. So that is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And in a slightly different format, I think that would be like... Th- then you'd be like, okay, this is my really powerful endgame and I'm going to grind you into dust with it. Mm-hmm. But that often doesn't stop the 14-14 Hydrate Crisis or, you know, sometimes you can battle through the zombie tokens, but yeah. sometimes you can't. Um, and it doesn't really stop Wrath you make a bunch of 4-4 artifacts. So uh, the Great Henge, I think, is like not very well positioned, just given how these endgame plans tend to work out. So just interesting things that are defining the format. Mm-hmm. Um, ways to get around that. The stuff that I have liked just because it matches up well against like Doom Foretold and Oko at the same time. So you can't, you really are disincentivized from playing like three and four mana 
permanence. Yeah, that that just like gets killed for free a lot of the time. Right. So you kind of want a bunch of like throwaway cards that like if they get turned into three threes, it's like an upgrade. <laughs> And if you sacrifice them to Doom Foretold, it's like, okay. Okay. Um, the two decks that do that and are also able to present a clock, that means that the late games don't necessarily happen to you. So these are like the get under all the late game yeah. style decks. Yeah. So mono red, not, not it. Yeah. Um, Everybody's got food. Everybody's got, exactly. Just gaining life they're everywhere. They're just gaining life. You can't cavalcade somebody to death if they're just like, here's two, three, three blockers and I will gain three life. It's, it's not going to work. Mm, that's a bummer. So Mono Red, I don't believe, is where you want to be. The decks that do that thing, there is some iteration of Mono Black okay. that I believe is totally fine to play right now. Sure. And what does that deck kind of look like? So I don't know exactly which build of it is going to be the right thing. I think it's going to change over time to like adapt to what's going on. I do know that Ayara, the Black Black Black... Um, two three mm-hmm. that whenever it or another black creature enters the battlefield under your control you drain them for one tap sacrifice a black creature draw a card that card is very good because it compresses the game because it like stands for like five or six pings over the course of just you know a couple of turns yeah and so that helps their late game not happen and because you're getting the pings for free like if they sacrifice food a lot of times that's like they're losing too much tempo and then you're gonna run them over with stuff sure I don't know exactly what the rest of the cards in the deck are supposed to be. Uh, most of the versions that I've seen and liked have Knight of the Ebon Legion and Gutter Bones as one drops. You can play Cat and Oven in the deck. Um, I think that's okay, and I've liked it, and I've definitely it helps with the burn you out plan a lot. Yeah, but they are kind of low powered cards. So if you want to be a little more, um, the two drops are kind of bad. You have access to Priest of Forgotten Gods and like a couple of things that represent multiple bodies like Lazatep Reaver and that sort of thing. Sure. So it's hard to be like really aggressive with your two drops, although Priest can do really good work sometimes. And then there's decent threes like Spawn of Mayhem, uh, Midnight Reaper, Ayara is very good, and then Rankle is really good in this deck. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people talking about Rankle. Yeah, it, it, it makes the deck work pretty well. Okay. Um, and just like a lot of games you get to a point and you're like, wait, what gets me out of this? And then it's a rankle and you're like, oh, all right, two attacks, you're dead. <laughs> wow. And and it like works really well with the burn you out plan. Yeah. You know, if you've got an IR in play, you play the rankle, drain them from one, hit them. Each player draws a card, drain them for another one, untap, hit them again, drain them for one, play like three creatures that you drew off of that. Mm-hmm. They're dead. Okay. So nice. And, and the flying is yeah. really good right now. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of flying just generally of these, like, you know, yeah. everybody's trying to go over the top of each other with, like, random stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hydrocrasis is the only blocker for Rankle, really. Interesting. Um, yeah. It's the only thing that stopped mine when I've cast them. That's fair. And Rankle's got the nice three power to get through the uh, the O3 that some people are running. Yeah, yeah, true. Reach. I mean, getting your Rankle blocked by Arboreal Grazer is... Not a great outcome for that turn. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you really want that trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is it is always good. Okay. I think nice. out of the, like, 30 times I've hit somebody with Rankle, yeah. I've picked zero one time. One of those options is always going to be good. At least one. Mm-hmm. and Because you got eight options, so. Yeah. And zero is one of those options. That's true. So. The other good thing about the deck is you get to run four Castle Lockthwains in it. Yeah. And that's 
I haven't lost a match to Esper just because okay. Castle. You keep going and you keep going after their life total. Yeah. Um, with all of your stuff, mm-hmm. and and that ends up being just a, a pretty powerful late game in its own right. Nice. Um, so I, I've liked that deck. Definitely, some of your cards are kind of low impact, and mm-hmm. once the these late game decks get to their big late game, there's not a lot you can do to overcome them. Sure. Similar sort of strategy are these adventure decks. They're based around Edgewall Innkeeper, which is one green mana for a 1-1. Whenever you cast a creature that has an adventure, you draw a card. Um, These decks all have four Once Upon a Times in them to help you have more opening hands with Edgewall Innkeeper in them. And then you kind of never cast Once Upon a Time for the rest of the game because you just can't spare the two mana because you have so many cards in your hand. Well, that's good. There's a couple different versions of these. I've seen like Jund versions with all of the quote unquote good adventure creatures. Um, Murderous Rider is excellent, by the way. It's, okay. it's at least as good as we thought. I've been seeing it quite a lot. Yeah. The ability to just say that Planeswalker is dead is so important. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why a lot of the sideboards also have like four Noxious Grasps in them. Because <laughs> Fair. You just got to. Yeah. But so the adventure decks are very cool. There's like a green black version that's extremely grindy, uh, has, you know, Foulmire Knight, which its adventure is three to draw a card and pay a life. And then one black mana, it's a one, one death touch and sure. um, Order of Midnight, which is a raised dead adventure with a two, two flyer as the body. Um, so they can keep the black green deck can keep going forever. The problem is that it doesn't do a great job of killing your opponent mm-hmm. and you grind and you grind and you grind and then there's a 14-14 Hydrid Crisis and like you kill it but you're never going to win that game. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that version of the deck I'm not super high on. There's a deck that looks like it's got a lot of bad cards in it. Okay. Uh, but this is the deck that um, like Reed Duke registered it for the MPL this week. Okay. And it is a green-white version of the deck. Oh. And so, green white adventures. Green white adventures. Sure. So Edgewall Innkeeper, bunch of adventure creatures, including like Giant Slayer uh, and that sort of thing, and really just using them as a way to play a bunch of cantrip creatures and then venerated Loxodon or Tristani to make them into real threats. Uh, okay. So it's it's <laughs> like a Selesnia Tokens deck. He has four March of the Multitudes in there as well because it's so easy to just like spam the board with creatures. Nice. You're playing Lovestruck Beast. It also gets to run Flower Flourish, which is helpful because the lands are so bad for allied color decks. Yeah. But so even though that deck has a lot of like not super high power level cards, it's ultimately just like a white weenie deck. Yeah. It has ways of getting under people. Yeah. And has a really powerful card advantage engine that white weenie decks don't traditionally have access to. And because it can kill people before it hits their late game, I'm into that use of Edgewall Innkeeper quite a bit. Yeah. Sounds pretty sweet. So It is sweet. I, I do want to see how it plays out. I think it's okay against the Wrath decks, but there's like a lot of Wraths in this format, so... Right. Yeah. Um, and the Wrath that I have been most impressed with is uh, Definite Glarian. Interesting. Okay. Just still... most Most things are like floating around are kind of small. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing against the Mono Black deck, yeah. Definite Glarian them, yeah. you're doing great. Yeah. Um, playing against these Adventure decks... Definite Clarion buys you a lot of time. Mm-hmm. All of the green decks, if they haven't gotten to Hydroid Crisis yet, you know, Definite Clarion has always killed all of the mana guys, all of the Risen Reefs, all of the 3 3 lands that Nissa makes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and is kind of a nightmare for those decks. Interesting. Okay. So, like, Evan has been working on developing Jeskai Walkers. Um, sure. With Fires of Invention. Yeah, yeah. That lets you 
double Planeswalker or Planeswalker Wrath like every turn. Fae of Wishes plus Fires of Invention was an interaction that we kind of missed during the set review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is... I think Lee might have actually mentioned it, but we might have. Maybe not. I don't remember. But it is it is quite powerful. Right. Um. Just like if you untap with Fires of Invention, you're so favored to win any given game. Mm-hmm. Um. And you can Fae of Wishes for off color spells and cast them the same turn, and then at some point you can cast the Fae of Wishes and then get it back for another like. This this deck is pretty impressive. No need, yeah, no need to play many lands past like whatever seven is. So or right. whatever your highest CMC is. So. Yeah. Although at some point, a lot of games, depending on what you're playing against, develop into you wishing for planar cleansing, casting planar cleansing to get them, and then you're like, oh well, I can cast two more spells this turn because I've been making all these land jobs. Oh, so then you okay. cast spells three and four, and just like <laughs> three and four were like a Sarkin and a Narset. <laughs> so nice. But yeah. I mean, yeah, that, if, if that's any indication that these games are going long. Then yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of my big problems with the format as okay. it is, is not just that games are long. That's fine. Yeah. But I don't, I really don't like playing the Field of the Dead decks. Mm-hmm. And I don't hate playing against them because you have to construct your deck to be able to beat. I, I think you can't show up to a tournament without feeling favored against the Field of the Dead decks. That would be a sure. mistake. Yeah. I really don't like playing with them. Every yeah. game goes like 15 turns. Right. Playing against Esper is just like a night. You have to play perfectly. And if you ever make a mistake, then they just like, you just like get locked in this cycle of like, here are my zombies. And they're like, here's a wrath. Yeah. And then you keep going until they just like massively outcard you. It, and that like, that is a good matchup for the Golos decks. Mm-hmm. But the games are just such a slog. And I just don't don't enjoy playing these decks at all. So, especially not when I can be doing something like Fires of Invention, Jeskai, Planeswalkers. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's it's good to hear that there's a lot of sweet things going on that are, there are pulling people in certain directions. So, And I there's always the fear that, oh, cool, we've got all these neat decks, but man, like the format is going to condense and the good decks will rise to the top and mm-hmm. the other decks will disappear. But a lot of these decks feel like they are doing something fundamentally powerful and desert, like different from the other decks. It's not a worse version of something else. And right. they're just really good interactions mm-hmm. that you can keep working on and can keep being a part of standard as, as decks get refined. That's a good sign. I, I think. Right. Yeah. You know. And it feels like, you know, as far as like, you know, post-rotation standards go, this format feels like it has a pretty high power level which is mm-hmm. interesting because you know yeah. Eldrain ty- is so powerful yeah typically he like at this point in the like rotation cycle things are like you know kind of medium mm-hmm. in the power level but you know it sounds like right now everybody's got like super you know strong late games and mm-hmm. all this stuff so you know maybe maybe the additional cards that get printed are going to help out like the other ends of the spectrum like you know maybe we're still waiting on like the cards that make the aggro decks like playable again or whatever I mean, it's going to have to be mm-hmm. something that interacts very well with an opposing Oko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's fair. Casting Robber of the Rich is just not... Not going to do it. against. going to get the job done. Okay. Also, yeah. side note on Robber of the Rich. Yeah? We were 100% right. That's just a two-mana 2-2 two, two haste. <laughs> I thought it, so. It has no other text. <laughs> I thought so. I Like, nobody has ever cast anything off of it against me. <laughs> 
I haven't played it yet because I was yeah. like, I'm not crafting this mythic rare tutu. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I am also not buying ten dollar haste tutus for this standard nope. where they're not even that good. Right. What what was the it's like the ashes of the like some like red red tutu haste first strike or oh, something? Ash sell it. Ash sell it. Yeah, like way it's back like when. whenever a player casts a card from a graveyard, it like deals three to them or something. Oh, like some trinket text or yeah. whatever. But it was like it was just like a at least that tutu. one had first strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely paid like $30 for my playset of those. Right, yeah, yeah, I mean, that that red deck was pretty good. Yeah, it was good, yeah. yeah. And Ashzal, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, though, I think the red deck is pretty medium. Yeah. Robber of the Rich is <laughs> too expensive for what it does. And I, I did see another post, somebody was like, talking about this Gruul deck that they had built, and they played like a more aggressive version rather than a 4 and 5 drop version. They played Robber of the Rich... And their takeaway on Robber of the Rich was, <laughs> I've attacked with this 70 times, and I have cast one spell off of it. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, yeah. Not an exciting card. Oh, well. They can't all be winners. No. There, there are plenty of, like, other winners in this set that are taking the limelight, so. Yep. Yep. There's lots of very cool stuff to do. And I'm really pumped that, like, this Adventures deck is... That was out of absolutely nowhere and it's like pretty good all my cards are two cards yeah so that's got to be worth something well i noticed i've been doing some drafts yeah and edgewall innkeeper just like i will pick it over any like non-crazy planeswalker basically so it's like it's like the 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 go-to value engine of the set yeah it what what's its rarity it's uncommon. Okay, cool. So, you know, my the draft that I have going right now in Arena, I've got two of them in it, and it's... You're going off. It's really drawing good. a lot of cards. It's, it's great. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, like, when I started playing with it in Limited, I was like, well, this card feels good enough for Constructed. Nice. Um, it's <clears throat> cheap. It's a value engine. And yep. then it's a body for Venerated Loxodon and Tristani, and... Yeah, yeah. I'm in. I do love a Venerated Loxodon every once in a while. So. <laughs> You know, we were just not to, not to keep tooting our horns too much, but like we were right on that card. Oh man. yeah, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Pretty good uh, overview of standard. Yeah, I, that's kind of all. I feel I like I'm mostly caught up, and so hopefully our listeners feel the same way. I, I hope so. Yeah. Um, I don't know what is how to break standard for this weekend sure. necessarily. I can't yeah, just yeah. tell you that. Right. Probably the two leading options would be. Mm. A Golos deck, which just like on principle, I probably would refuse to actually do. Okay. I despise those games. I hear you. It's like yeah. Valakut, but worse. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, but like and we're a, about a to, less pleasant experience. We're about to go into a team tournament format that's yeah. like playing a bunch of standards, like ultra grindy. There are going to be a million draws. Yeah. I'm just going to predict it right Ugh. now. It's going to be rough. Yeah. Yeah. So probably if I were headed to Philly this weekend, I would probably try to play just guy fires okay um it's powerful feels like it's got solid answers to everything sure. an assertive game plan that beats like i have no idea that i was going to play against this deck but yeah. anyways here's to fairy into fires of invention removal spell into two spells like yeah. that's going to beat whatever random nonsense happens right but yeah well i'm i am excited to see how this standard develops it is has been really cool so far yeah and standards developing faster and faster with Arena these days. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, something to keep up with. We would not without Arena. We would not have these adventure decks yet. Yeah, I, I don't believe that they would exist. Okay, yet. right. There's no not way. even a weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the set isn't 
released. It's like Tuesday. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so. The pre-release was two days ago. Right. So, and we're like multiple levels into the standard. <laughs> wild. Wild. Love to see it. Yep. I, it's fun. It's wild. Yep. Cool. Uh, let's do a Patreon question. All right. Lee says, can we talk about how fun equipment are in draft and also how tired I am of every player being at 30 life from food in limited? Yeah, all of my all of my draft decks are grindy decks. None of them are trying to kill my opponent because it makes your two ones look not great. Yeah. So this week's Patreon question comes from Phyrexia598, who asks, are there any tips that you have for someone looking to participate in tournaments bigger than LGS tournaments? Yeah, so I the biggest thing for me is to uh, go with a group of people that you really enjoy hanging out with. Mm-hmm. The big like tournament trips, and you know I kind of take these for granted now because we go on them <laughs> every weekend. But my favorite part of all those trips is uh, just kind of the camaraderie, the the dinners on Saturday night and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you can just like you know find your group uh, and and go with the people that you just really enjoy being with. That to me makes the biggest difference, and that's not really like a it's not like a technical tournament like preparation thing really, but it was definitely the first thing that came into my mind of like you know the tournaments where I've done that and had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like I went up to Columbus, and you know I stayed with Russell. I met like you know Hobbs was there, and mm-hmm. then I just we just met a bunch of like great local people who were a blast to hang out with. I had a great time, and you know I didn't know these people like that well, but. That weekend really stood out for me as like a great weekend just because of the company. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, that that's probably like an element of it that I value a lot that I that I recommend. Yeah. Um, for people. And, and you know, if you don't know exactly who's going, like if you're going to your LGS, like mm-hmm. figure out who the people who travel to these tournaments are. And, yeah. You know, at least like talk with them and and see if they're people that you would want to go do this with and and that that is your best avenue for that right i would say the reason that our advice is not about tournament prep or anything like that is you're not going to do well in your first big tournament right it's just very unlikely to happen yeah um manage your expectations yeah for you know if you if you if you're if you know that you're going to leave the tournament unsatisfied if you don't do well in the main event it's it's not likely to go well for you. Yeah. So you're setting yourself up for right. a, a weekend that you regret. Yeah. Because there's a lot you go into this tournament hall for the first time and it can be a little bit overwhelming and you sit down for your match and there's just like a lot going on in your head. There's a lot to get used to. There's if you've never played a 9 round day 1 before and you're now playing 9 rounds, mm-hmm. like that is something to adjust to and like maybe you forgot to get snacks and water and like now you're stressing out about that and like you don't like realize that you can ask a judge to let you go to the bathroom so you're like stressing out about when you go to the bathroom like there's a lot of like little things that we take for granted but you have to learn yeah by playing in a tournament yeah so you have to go Mm -hmm. to the tournament yeah and you will pick up things each time you you play in one of these things yeah absolutely yeah so yeah i mean you know tournaments are a great time playing in the tournament is also a great time yeah but yeah just you know go have fun and uh enjoy your weekend yeah play a deck like that you will enjoy playing <clears throat> you're even the best like fnm grinder even if you do totally have the play skill to go and do well in an open or in a gp or something like that yeah there are other factors at play here that are going to make it difficult to spike it 
Right. And so make sure to figure out how you're going to have fun and make it not depend on, you know, having a really good record at the end of the weekend. Right. And so play a deck that you know that you want to play in the tournament. Go with people that you want to hang out with. And also bring water and snacks. You'll, you'll feel yes. better. If Take you care of yourself is yeah. like a big like underlying factor there. Yeah. I like to bring fresh fruit when I can. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always pay off. Nuts are really good. Jerky's okay, but can be very salty. So that <laughs> might be a little headachey if you're not hydrating quite enough. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you're at one of the tournaments that we're at, come say hi. We, we can be your friends at the tournament. Indeed. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Cool. Well, that seems like a solid, not four hour long episode. Love it. Decent place to wrap up. Yeah. Um, thank you so much to everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to find us online, you can find us at mtggrindcast.com. Uh, there we've got links to Collins' coaching services. We've got links to all of our episodes and to our Patreon. You can also go straight to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast if you would like to support us. Come hang out in the Discord. We will send you some pins and tokens and, depending on what tier, hats and playmats. Um, and hopefully t-shirts at some point, but really trying to figure out how to make these t-shirts look good so okay. we're, we're holding on that for a little bit cool yeah uh thanks so much to our patrons thanks to everybody else so much for listening we really appreciate it and have a great week peace <laughs>